welcome to the Ashley and Grace podcast show. We're two moms with kids that have special needs. We're sharing our journey because we want you to know you are not alone. Let's get to it. Hi, this is Kimberly from the Ashley and Grace podcast show. It is Autism Awareness Month, and I had a chance to interview a Miss Sarah Miller. She is raising two boys on the spectrum, 119 and 116. She's going to share some of her journey, some of her golden nuggets that has helped her along the way, which would be great for some of us that's just starting out on this path. Take a listen. We were already into a deep conversation before I hit play. Thanks for tuning in. Here we go. Um, journals. journals. Not daily like I should, but, um, you know, significant moments and, and thoughts that I have. Because um, I'm also an artist. So okay. if, and creativity um, doesn't always just happen. Right. I can't say, oh, I've got a couple hours to kill. I think I'm going to go paint. Right. Well, it, I'm not feeling it. Yeah. So It comes. Waves. Um, right. And then usually when I'm out doing something where I can't, you know, I'll get an idea or a thought and then I make sure I write that down so that when I am in creative mode, I can go back and say, what was I thinking about? Um, and how, how did I come up with that? Et cetera. And so then I can do something with that time if it all coordinates together, right. which is no, really difficult you. with the two boys. Yeah. So you have two boys. I am talking to Sarah Miller here on the Ashley and Grace podcast show, and I'm getting up to speed on Sarah's life. She's filling me in. We're going to talk a little bit about, more about autism. She's raising one, one two, child, two, sons. two sons with autism. How old are they, Sarah? One is uh, nine, just turned 19, and the other will be 16 shortly. Well, we will be enlightened for our newer moms that are dealing with it. I know personally my daughter's 11, so I definitely like to hear people who have always already traveled that path. So um, if you would like to just go ahead, Sarah, I introduced you already. Could you go ahead and just tell us how you found out about your kids having and start from there and just work your way up? Sure. Thank sure. you. Just a little bit about my background. Um, my first son was born in 2000. And uh, prior to that, I'd worked in the field of developmental disabilities, and then before that, a special education teacher for about 11 years. So I had experience, um, but the people that I worked with not only had autism, they're what she called duly diagnosed, in that they also had mental retardation. Mm -hmm. So they were very low-functioning people, and their autistic traits were much more significant, okay. very identifiable. So that was my experience. Um, and so when my first son was born, uh, he, you know, I could tell something wasn't quite right. And my ex-husband has severe ADHD. And I know that's very hereditary, especially in boys. Mm -hmm. And I knew that going before I ever got pregnant. Both of my kids were very much planned. Uh, I want... I prayed for two boys, got mm. two boys. I love football. I wanted you know, okay. to be a football mom. That was my dream. <laughs> and so and when I found out my second was a boy, I thought, yay, I have a backup quarterback. Right. So just in case the first one, you know, isn't yeah. into it. So yeah. anyway, um, 
So I was very, you know, I took care of myself during my pregnancy. I did all the right things that even prior to getting pregnant, you know, healthy, uh, restricted my diet from any kind of sulfites, you know, anything like that. And so I thought I was did everything right and there was going to be nothing wrong, but something wasn't right. He wouldn't give eye contact. Um, what age was this? Oh, uh, after yeah. he was born, okay. almost immediately. Okay. I, when I brought him home, you know, he cried a lot, and everybody said, "Oh, was it, you know, it's your first, and it was." And so they said maybe he's colicky, things like that. So mm -hmm. I went through a lot of those little baby antacid drops, and yeah. you know, it didn't help. And he just wouldn't give me eye contact. And you know, even with rattles, you know, I'd put rattles in front of my face to try to get his attention, um, and nothing. So he didn't smile either, and he just didn't seem engaged with the outs, you know, yeah. what was outside world. Yeah. So, you know, I went to the pediatrician, and he said, oh, you know, boys, they just develop slower than girls. Uh, he said, um, they actually thought I was mentally retarded when I was young, and so um, he said, I turned out just fine. So, mm -hmm. you know, don't worry, don't worry. As time goes by, I'm thinking more and more, it's ADHD, but you know, that he was, he'd have a tantrum in the grocery store or a department store for no reason. It wasn't because he wanted a toy or wanted to touch something. He would just start screaming. And I'd have to leave the cart and take him out of the store. Mm. And so that um, kind of gave me an idea that, you know, and so I went back to the pediatrician, and it wasn't until about two and a half that the pediatrician, after my son was crawled under the chair I was sitting in, and screaming his head off, the pediatrician said, well, yeah, maybe there's a problem. Okay. So he referred me to a developmental pediatrician. Okay. And unfortunately, I didn't go to that one. I went to a different one that was referred to me by somebody in the field. Okay. And she just said, well, I'm not sure. Come back in two months. Well, I'm not sure. Come back in two months. Hmm. And after about six months of this, I said, no, I'm not. I'm going to go back to the, my original referral. Right. So I did, and um, in the meantime, the school district, because he was not going to be able to be taken care of by a traditional daycare, there was no way. It, they just he yeah. would be too disruptive. It's too and, much. And so, um, the most school districts, at least in California, at age three, they will do an assessment and kind of find a place for them, a preschool or pre-whatever right. and so after they saw him and then did their assessments they called me in and they said are you familiar with regional center services well of course being in the field I was and I knew that it was one of three things and I knew it wasn't two of those things and the only right. thing it could be was autism okay. and I flipped out so um, they said oh no we're not diagnosing but they didn't know that I that had the knew. experience right, right. So made appointment at the regional center, and they went ahead and diagnosed him immediately. I mean, okay. they just saw him for about 10, 15 minutes, and they said, there's no doubt. So that was, but once, it was really strange, because once I got the diagnosis, it was like the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders. Yeah. First of all, because I knew something was wrong, and I was right. Mm -hmm. And now that I knew, I could do something to oh, help yeah. him. Yes. And whereas a lot of families that I've worked with in the past freak out, a label, 
it's not a label. It's a medical diagnosis. Yes. You know, you wouldn't, if your child had diabetes or, heaven forbid, cancer, and the doctor told you that, you wouldn't say, don't label them. Right, right. So it's the same kind of thing. And so once you know, you can get tools and help. Exactly. And that was the next big step of, of finding those tools and getting it all put together. But having said that, when he was diagnosed, I was five months pregnant mm. with my, I found out it was a boy. Autism can be very hereditary, and so can ADHD, and uh, so I knew the likelihood was was there. Okay. And uh, so that was, sure enough, <laughs> how it ended up. So you, um, your story is very different from a lot of people where they, their onset of autism came in at like two or three, um, like they were perfectly fine, and then one day they just started staring in space. You hear, I hear that a lot. Um, from people explaining about autism in their kids? I hear that a lot as well. Um, your first... I look at it as, and having experienced with, with parents with all kinds of disabilities, not just autism, they want to blame something. Yes. And uh, first of all, they blame themselves. themselves. Yeah, right. I know that was the what first thing I that went through my head. Exactly. What did I do? Yeah, you know, I, I tried. I did everything right. You know, yeah. I didn't do drugs. I didn't drink. I didn't. I, I thought I was doing what was best for my baby. And so they once that they realize it's not their fault, then they're looking for it to be somebody else's fault or something's right. mm -hmm. fault. And um, you know, I believe like a lot of medical conditions um ms i can speak from because i have it uh it's an autoimmune um, disease yes. but it's like lupus or fibromyalgia uh rheumatoid arthritis they're all autoimmune um, but different yeah. with those diseases diet plays a, a big part as well as uh, they have lots of medications and things like that that are tailored to each one of those well there are people say that, and this is, now we're talking, my son was diagnosed in 2003. So this, the information that I'm giving is from 2003 and, mm -hmm. I, you know, from Before, that time. Right. They know a lot more now, mm -hmm. thank goodness. Um, but at that time, uh, the diet um, gluten-free yes. was, was big. And I would go to therapy sessions, mostly social skills groups with the kids and other kids who, and the parents were there. They wanted them to be involved, which was a good thing. Mm -hmm. And so the parents talked and they would talk about this gluten-free diet. And at the time you had to go to a specialty market and it was right. just, it was awful. Yeah. I mean, they just didn't have a selection and you know, it wasn't kid food. Yeah. So, uh, they, I tried it and it didn't make a difference. Okay. Whereas some parents swore it did. So I don't know, um, like when I was diagnosed with MS, before they gave me the diagnosis, they did blood work because MS can mimic a, a vitamin D deficiency, mm -hmm. um, a lots of other things that they want to rule out before they say Labor it's with. MS. Right. So I'm, I don't know if there are food allergies to gluten that mimic autism, mm -hmm. which would explain the later onset because most of your baby foods, 
And of course, not you know, breast milk or formula isn't going to have gluten in it. Right. So I don't know if by the time they're two and a half, three years old, off baby food and eating more typical foods, that it comes if, into play. If they're getting all that gluten. So what 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 do you think about the theory of the shots? That, that's kind of a sore subject with me. Okay. Um, in my experience. Uh, Previously, in my social work days, I had a caseload of probably throughout that career at that time, um, about 500 um, people, from children to 75, 80-year-old people. And probably, I would say, 80 to 90% of my senior or older population had autism. Wow. And significant autism to where they were doing the head banging and, mm -hmm. and other things that caused them to be institutionalized, basically. Right. And so but that was all prior to vaccinations. Yeah. Oh, So okay. my question is to these people that, yeah. you know, they, because they used to just lock people with autism away, society didn't see them. Yeah. So now that it's more acceptable and it's, kind of hereditary and we're not sure there's some something out there that triggers it but it's a gene that's they're doing a lot of testing especially at UC Davis that's kind of at least on the west coast that's the premier uh, laboratories I know for me my daughter's onset did come on pretty much after a traumatizing stay in the hospital mm-hmm because um, she has a medical disorder called propionic acidemia, which is, um, you know, it's metabolic. It's She can't process protein. Mm -hmm. So she got really sick and had to have a stay in the hospital. And when she came home from that stay, I think that stay was about two, three weeks, within a certain time, she was a different kid. Mm -hmm. So I think it's definitely a traumatic effect. I do have some thoughts about the shots only because she didn't have a healthy immune system and I think I should have chosen to get the shots broken up. Not mm -hmm. like not get them, mm -hmm. but just not get them as, mm -hmm. you know, all bunched mm -hmm. together. Because sure, I sure. didn't find out till later that you can request, okay, we'll get one today. We'll come mm -hmm. back next week and get another one. We'll mm -hmm. come back next week and get another one. Mm -hmm. That it didn't have to be so demanding on her body at right. one time considering right. she was already weak exactly yeah. exactly and yeah. cases like that i would absolutely agree yeah you don't want to overwhelm their system right uh, and even waiting a little bit isn't going to do harm especially if they're not in a preschool right she situation yeah and yeah. she was you know relatively sterile and wasn't going to get measles most likely and things like that right it wouldn't be um, bad to, to prolong that and I, I totally agree with that um, I I just because so much research has been done and redone and over and over again to disprove mm -hmm. that and plus I knew so many of my clients who had autism prior to and it was much more severe yeah so Hmm. Um, that's it. Interesting. Yeah. And good to and good to hear. Yeah. Good to know because so the, the numbers matter. Mm -hmm. They do. Yeah, the numbers. And matter. we're better at diagnosing now. And yeah. the numbers, they, sure they see when they say autism, but of course, as you know, it's a spectrum. It's a spectrum. 
and a lot of learning disabilities and other things are also on a spectrum. Yeah. ADHD uh, is also on a spectrum. Yeah. So you can have just a touch of it or you can be severely impacted by it and mm -hmm. all the areas in between. And with what's frustrating about autism is that it has some general similarities criteria that meet the DSM requirement, mm -hmm. but every kid is different, especially it's with different. the sensory yes. issues. Yes. And so that makes it even more difficult right. because support groups can be very helpful. Right. Um, however, every kid that in the room oh, no, is different. So, yeah. and I always was afraid that I would go and my problems would be so minimal compared to some Someone other parent yeah. whose yeah. child ha yeah. has is very very yeah even uh, though severe. you're stressed out at home you're worried about like uh, you know I you saw something more you know mm -hmm. devastating mm -hmm. you're like oh gosh like I know I'm struggling over here but if I had to deal with that that might be a little bit too much for me so right you, and then you kind of don't want to mix those things it's 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 a it's a balancing act. It sure is. It sure is. And finding uh, parents with children that are kind of at the same level, level. of yours yeah. is really difficult. I think that's the problem I'm having right now. Mm -hmm. As I get older, it gets easier. Okay. Uh, because I know with my older son, it now it's more known, more accepted. People understand it. So, bless his heart, I told my older son... He had autism when he was in the seventh grade. He came home from school and he was grabbing at his hair and he said, I know there's something wrong with me and you better tell me now. And he was literally just grabbing at his hair and just I could tell by the frustration in his face. Now, was he in special needs uh, at all or is he entered in, in the at that mainstream? Time, at that time, he was in regular education. Okay and at the regular middle school where I live. And he started out in a special day class okay. at three. Okay. They put him there immediately because he was not toilet trained and he did not have any functional language whatsoever. Oh, okay. So he went from that um, for about a year and a half and then they told me we're gonna put him at the lower level in the regular preschool classes uh, because the, SD, the special day classes or SDC as they're called, or only half day, okay. and the traditional help. was full day. So they said, um, after he comes to our class, we're going to send him down to the regular class. And I just thought, no, you can't do that. I I want the specialists. You know, I don't want right. people who aren't familiar to be dealing with. And they said, no, it's already done. Monday he's going. And yeah. I said, okay. And she knew what I did at that point for a living, I didn't go in and broadcast that. But as these teachers, we became a team, they found out that I did work in the system. And the place that I worked for was kind of adversarial against school districts, mm -hmm. or could be. Yeah. So I was very reluctant until I got to know them because I didn't want them to call me, you know, Mrs. Miller. I wanted them to call me, you know, Sarah. Right. And feel free that they could text me during the day and tell me how his day. Once you get that uh, adversarial role or 
what they yeah. perceive as that, or we better take notes and have some yeah. a third person. It just, I didn't want that, and right. I've been to enough IEP meetings throughout my career yeah. that mm-hmm. and sat in almost every chair at the table. But when you're a parent, I can tell you it's completely different. I could advocate for all my clients and just speak up and know exactly what they needed. Boom, boom, boom. But my own child, it, 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 I was just in a fog. Yeah. And so that my experience didn't help me in that realm. Okay. Um, only with knowing that, that you don't want to be adversarial in an IEP meeting if you don't have to. Right. No, so totally. You, I you need to pick those battles. Right. Carefully. I pick and choose my battles very carefully. Um because I didn't, I've never had like a strong voice, but when I had her, I found my voice kind mm-hmm. of. And I know, I feel like I know what she needs because I'm constantly asking for guidance and direction within to give her what she needs. Mm-hmm. But then it comes to the trust that I know what she needs. So I will listen in the IEP, but I still will present mm-hmm. what I feel would be the best sure. for her because we're functioning to two environments she's at school she's at home you got a different grace here and a different grace at home like my I pick her up now and the teachers are like she has a great day she's so good and I'm thinking at home she's like terrorist sometimes <laughs> you know I know exactly exactly like, what you're saying serious I'm like what is going on I need somebody from school at home like what are you guys doing that's exactly yeah. A key, key element is talking with the teachers yeah. and whatever works at school, carry it over. But it's just no home. way to get that structure from school because I got to breathe. Like mm-hmm. at school, that's your job. It's 24-7. It's 24-7 for me at home, but I still have to breathe. Exactly. You know, so even if you take a 20-minute breather, you don't know what's going to happen that 20 minutes that you're not giving them that attention, right? which is what I know it is, is right. they want all of you. And it's right. like, they need that to just to breathe, right? you know? And when you can't give it, if you have other kids, you know, or you got to cook dinner or wash clothes or, which I just let go of most of that stuff. But <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I well, don't know. I see the disability physically, so they tend to kind of blow it off and, oh, they're just fine. Leave them alone. I heard that from the other side of the family all the time. Yeah. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. Yeah. Just don't mess with things. But, you know, at that point, once he got the formal diagnosis from people I trusted and I knew where he fell on the spectrum and actually both of them, um, I didn't feel so guilty because I did realize that my experience wasn't with the high functioning end yeah. of the spectrum. It, it it helped relieve that guilt. You still yeah. carry it. Oh you yeah, know? I, I don't I don't think there's a way to get around it. We're moms. We feel like we we let them down in some capacity, and I think it's all about just moving on. But I do think that we are prepped for everything we go through, and even you just working in the field and having some type of knowledge. It's just a plus. I'm thinking of the moms that come into it and know nothing at all. You know, like yes. don't, not even just like, oh, no, or someone's just saying, oh, they're just bad, you know, mm-hmm. and no, that's not the case. Something else is going on. Right. Um, kind of like what you, you just said a few minutes ago. I think about my daughter, Grace. She 
when she's acting a certain way at the grocery store and people don't understand. That's like the hardest thing. I, I can hear right? <laughs> other kids in the grocery store. I'm not even in the same aisle, right. but I can hear and I know that they're on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And some stranger will approach that mother and tell them they need to get a control of their child. Right. Oh, I want to hunt them right. down and just grab them by the shirt <laughs> and say, you know what? And you... <laughs> Oh, I just, I, I get I really, really Instead of, I, and I'm hoping for, like, like I said, with this platform, to be part of the more compassionate world, mm-hmm. where you can say, do you need help with anything? Would mm-hmm. you like me to stand here and maybe talk? Or mm-hmm. do you need some help putting something in your basket? Mm-hmm. I see you're having a hard time. Mm-hmm. Or just, you know, not giving it energy, not bringing right. the negative energy as if we're not already having a hard time. Right. <laughs> And I know with uh, my children, the autism, the structure, as you mentioned before, Mm. uh, sometimes they'll line things up and they have sensitivity to clothing. And and so I did some research and I bought uh, at Old Navy uh, those neoprene swim shirts. Mm. They were on the sales rack and I was just in the clearance section and I thought, and it really, what if I bought one that the sizes I don't want him to wear a weighted vest where they put sandbag he's not gonna wear that yeah Uh, he'll end up throwing the sandbags at somebody so I got this neoprene vest that was super tight on him because it was so small and it calmed him down so much Hmm. that eventually he was wearing it every day and in the summertime but we I could put a regular shirt over it so it wasn't stigmatizing yeah and so I thought, but he can't wear this the rest of his life. After it was helping, and yeah. but in kindergarten, I said, "I'm trying to wean it off. I'm going to send him to school without it, but put it in his backpack if he needs it. Put it on." And then he was doing so well, didn't bother to put it in his backpack anymore. And then the teacher texted me one day and she said, "I need the stretchy shirt, please, <laughs> please bring the stretchy shirt." So I did, and it was fine. But it was her working with me and knowing what what's um, your kid needs, right? And most of the social skills uh, with the higher functioning, um, they would purposely set up conflict or things that would set the kids off so that they could teach us and the kids how to calm and soothe themselves. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge learning experience for me. So I highly recommend any social skills group that uh, you participate in. It's one where the parents go and stay and are a part of the group mm-hmm. for the parents to and too. because I that one ceased to exist when my younger son was ready and they sent me to another place where I sat in a waiting room yeah and I had no idea what was going on and they would come out in a crowded waiting room with other parents and start talking about my child and how they did in front of first of all you're breaking yeah. confidentiality I yeah. mean that aside right it, it, it just, I couldn't see for myself. Yeah. And mm. I, they wouldn't even let me watch through a window. No, we don't usually do that. And I thought, well, th- this isn't working for me. So right. I, I pulled him out. It, it just wasn't um, conducive to mm-hmm. what I had been taught. And so, but you have to be a detective. Oh, yeah. I th- <laughs> My motto is they are here to make us present. 
I mean, really bring us into reality Mm -hmm. because you have to pay attention in order to be able to function with them. Right. If you're not, if you're paying, if you're on your phone, if you're trying to do something else, they're not having it. Mm -hmm. You have to know how to maneuver with them and to learn it. You have to pay attention, which means you have to be caught into the present moment. Mm -hmm. So I believe that is the gift that they give us Mm -hmm. is to be able to live in the present. That's wonderful. The more we tune into that, the more it helps us, the more it helps them. And like you said, the structure, Mm -hmm. they thrive on it. It has to be consistent. And I would lay awake at 2 o'clock in the morning and think, what were the triggers today? Why was today so much rougher than previous Mm -hmm. days? We had two good days. And I was told at the very beginning by two different psychologists, that I owe so much to and were the smartest people. Mm. They said it's always going to be two steps forward, one step back. Mm. Just keep that in your head because you're going to make progress. You will make progress. But you're going to have that occasional step back where temporarily they're going to lose that progress and don't get frustrated because... It's part of the process. Right. And another psychologist told me when I was pregnant with my second son, and I knew it was a boy, and I was talking to him, and I, I said, yeah, I'm pregnant. It's a boy. And I just broke down and cried. And he mm. knew why I was crying. Right. Because of the hereditary. And yes. The chance, yes. High likelihood. And he said, you know what? He said, you, by the time they are grown, you are going to know more about autism mm. than any psychologist or behaviorist out there. Right. Because you live it 24-7. Mm. And I thought about that, and it's always stayed with me, so that when I evaluate a specialist that would come over to my house to do a behavioral assessment or something right. like that, if you're dressed like you're going to be doing my financial planning mm-hmm. with a scarf and a brooch and high right. heels... I know you're not going to be on the floor with my son, right? Playing exactly. with him and and getting into what his issues are. Present you're, with right. Him. You're, <laughs> you're going to be exactly exactly. You're going to be sitting on the couch because you don't want to get dirty, right? Not that my house was dirty, but no, I know what you, you know mean, totally. your pantyhose and everything. You know what though? Yeah. So and I can remember, but I let that particular assessment happen, and I had to actually take a day off of work, a half day, which was rare. But her assessment was so poorly written that I took a red pen to it mm. when I got it and sent it back to the regional center mm. and I everything that was wrong with it. And fortunately, with my experience, you could, I could, yeah, I could do that. that. Yeah, that you know, not being able to talk is not a behavior. Mm-hmm. And she had that as behavior number seven is not being able to communicate. Maybe he just didn't want to talk to you. <laughs> he didn't. He peeked around the right. corner and took yeah. off. Right. He, both of my boys, uh, wanted to be social at certain times, but when they came home, they wanted to be by themselves. Okay. And. But they still need to be supervised because they could get into things. But they didn't want to play a board game together. They didn't want to sit and watch a movie. They didn't want to sit and read a book. Right. They weren't those kind of kids. Plus, with the hyperactivity of my younger son, it just, 
So with my ex-husband and my two sons, I had three different behavior plans going on in the house. <laughs> and I, I just... Amazing. And without his support and some other things, you know, we decided to separate. And mm -hmm. we were separated for a while. And it, it worked for my family because it, I could focus on the kids. The kids. And then he could have them on his time, his, his weekends or whatever. And get the better of them and I think and, that's best doing what works for your family right and for the kids because at the end of the day that's what matters most in, in these situations to me doing what's best for the kid really matters right and if you're all you know you two it's you can't figure that out right and and that's gonna tear apart eventually if you can't figure the kids out exactly you know so i'd rather get the kids game tight get the kid tight and hey we'll figure you know we'll figure that out right right <laughs> my ex-husband has never been to an iep meeting yeah <laughs> and n never been involved yeah. that way and i even bought you know those yellow books for dummies on different you yeah. know yoga for dummies and yeah, yeah, things. Yeah. they actually have a book autism for dummies and so I bought that for my ex-husband mm -hmm. and just because they're good in that they can break it down. At the time, Asperger's was a diagnosis and so they had one for Asperger's. And I knew from the beginning that my son met both criteria. Mm -hmm. So I knew that yeah. they weren't separate, that yeah. they were one and the same. Yeah. But convincing, you know, the knowledgeable uh, <laughs> psychiatrists and psychologists and all of their infinite wisdom who have normal, typical children, they finally came what to that What we call conclusion. normal, typical. Right. But I believe everybody has something going on. Well, sure, on. <laughs> sure. It, it, man, and yeah. I do too. And, yeah. and I think, you know, because people will say, do you think my son or daughter has autism? I said, you know, I don't, I don't know, but if there's something going on with them that's interfering with their daily lives figure it out then you need to go yeah you know find out if it's not it doesn't matter they could right. have high functioning autism but they're doing beautifully then it, it's not an issue i know i had a i had someone talking to me um about their daughter testing she's a scholar she gets really good grades but she slow test taker mm -hmm. needed extra time to mm -hmm. just I said, get her iep just for the test. Mm -hmm. No, I don't want them labeling her. I'm just like, she's an honor student. How could you label an honor student? But if she needs extra time to take the test, give her what she needs to succeed. Exactly. We want them to win. We don't want to set them up to fail exactly. because someone else is fitting them into a box. Right. So we're so worried about everyone else when we need to become present and worry about what's in front of us. And exactly. that's what matters most. That is so true. That's an excellent point. That was part one of my interview with Sarah Miller. Join us next week, part two, wrap it up on the Ashley and Grace podcast show. Thank you so much for tuning in.